visual filmmaker as opposed to a literary filmmaker. So it the movie doesn't rest in the dialogue. It rests in the visuals. In episode one, we had established a very Art Nouveau, very fluid form. And episode four had a very, sort of very um, industrial, engineered, angular shape. And so now we're kind of bridging that gap. So we're mixing a little bit of both. In order to get anything to happen, you have to take a certain amount of risk. And you have to sort of go into an area where you're not sure you're going to be able to pull it off. George is always known as an innovator. Uh, here we go again. He's doing something new. He's doing something different. It doesn't mean that technology is going to make the film any better. That has nothing to do with art. Technology is used to tell a story, and that's the whole point. It's really the, the, the filmmaker and the storyteller and how well they're able to tell the story that counts in the end. The, the techniques they use are really a, a byproduct of that. Episode number 147 of Blast Points. This is Jason. And this is Gabe. And yep, this week we are talking about, again, going back to the art of books, the longest running tradition of the Star Wars movies besides action figures. And actually, and, and movies. <laughs> and t-shirts. Yeah, t-shirts. Yeah, the art books. And this week we are talking about the fantastic the art of Attack of the Clones. The artwork of a fantastic film. You know it. We know it. We all love it. Everybody watches it at least once a week. Some people say it's the best of the best. They might be right. Vastly underrated in its importance. The art of Attack of the Clones. Attack of the Clones in general. We're going to be getting all into it in a little bit. But first, there is news, if you can believe it. We're digging for some episode nine news. You got to dig, though. <laughs> Hit it! One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Good night, anybody. We called up Indiana Jones to help us uh, unearth some hints. We got we got the guys digging out all night. 
Uh, so what, other than Anthony Daniels talking about food, you have to what, look at people's wives, Instagram accounts or whatever. Is that how we're finding out stuff now? Yeah. So Oscar Isaac's wife posted a picture of that they were filming in Jordan. And then John Boyega posted a picture of him and Oscar Isaac in Jordan, enjoying a piece of cake. And what's interesting is I think we were talking a couple weeks ago that Daisy Ridley was in Jordan. And I think, I think I've heard that Adam Driver was there too. That's a coincidence that they're all in the same country at the same time. It's neat to think about because it's like, well, in all the sequel movies, they all haven't been in the same place at the same time. All the characters. Yeah, it's a good point. They've, yeah, they've never all been. Well, I mean, Poe was in the air near them, but yeah, it'll be exciting if we actually get a a scene at least, right, where they're all together. I mean, I guess the end of Last Jedi, they kind of were all together, like in the battle when Ray shows up, because Kylo was still kind of there. It could be really interesting if everyone is there together at once. I don't. It makes me wonder if whatever they're filming in Jordan is something with the climax of the movie, maybe. Yeah, or well, or the beginning if they all start together and then get split up again. As much as I think previously, I was thinking I I really wanted there to be some time passed between seven or between eight and nine. But lately I keep thinking, I almost hope they just go crazy and only have like two days pass <laughs> and just like, they can kind of just go all out with it. Now at this point, seven and eight happened like a day apart. It's like, why not just keep it going? And the, this whole sequel trilogy is just like three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most, the most important three weeks in star Wars history. It's like they already they already took it two thirds of the way. It's like at this point they should just go all out, and it's just like it's literally the next day. Why not? I think that's my. I'm most interested to find out of all the secrets there could be for Episode Nine of just knowing what the how long it's been between eight and nine. I think is really the only thing I want to know at this point. Keeps me up at night. <laughs> Wake up in the middle of the night in a sweat. <gasps> mm-hmm. Honey, what's wrong? I don't know how long it's been between eight and nine. Is it three days? Is it ten years? Maybe we are getting closer to a title being released. It could happen. I mean, I know in the past, like we said, oh, well, they're not going to say the title until after the next Star Wars movie comes out. But there isn't another Star Wars movie coming out. And do they want a poster for Episode Nine in theaters for the... Christmas movie season with the title on it to start getting people hyped. Some for uh, when people go see Mary Poppins. Could we be getting like an entertainment weekly, like photo spread, like first look at characters, costumes that are not spoilerific at all, you know, just to kind of here's Kylo Ren and here's Ray and Poe and Finn and be cool to see Rose and R2 and 3PO and BB-8 and all that stuff. Maybe. Maybe it is. We do have JJ back. <laughs> He gave us a, he gave us our picture so we'd shut up about him not sharing anything. If we didn't have that picture, I would maybe be like thinking of a conspiracy that episode nine is actually not filming. Yeah, maybe for uh, for Christmas we'll get JJ. will just post another picture, and it'll be the same picture of the Falcon, but then maybe there'll be different people in the cockpit. It'd be Alden Ehrenreich and Lord and Miller. They should just cast Lord and Miller in episode nine as as people. Put him, put him in Ree's masks or something. Why not? I'm still thinking about 
how when episode nine is going to be, how close to episode eight. That's all I can think. <laughs> so in Richard E. Grant news, which is the hot topic on schools and colleges all across the nation, he was a guest on the podcast Happy, Sad, Confused with Josh Horowitz. And he was talking about his audition process for episode nine. So he was saying he got sent a 10-page, what he calls a generic sort of interrogation scene from what clearly was a 1940s British B-picture because the references were not Star Wars and the language is something that he said his grandfather would have spoken in. And during his audition, it was J.J. and Daisy Ridley together. So that was making people freak out that was Richard E. Grant reading to Daisy Ridley? For some reason, does he interrogate Ray or does that just confirm what a lot of people believe that Richard E. Grant is probably playing some sort of first order heavy bad guy because he's tall and thin and British? I don't know. Yeah, I can't imagine what the scene he auditioned in really has that much to do specifically what he's going to be doing in the movie. It would be weird if he's not a villain. (laughs) It is J.J., but yeah, it is JJ, so we don't know. I just wonder too, like who first order is even still around? Like who is like a commanding officer that's not Hux that's still left of the first order? Like are they just calling up first order like star destroyers and be like, who you, <laughs> who's still alive on that thing? Who do we still got? Captain Crunch, King Diamond, bring them all over here. It would be interesting to see Kylo interacting with other First Order officers because it seems like like an Empire when Vader's just choking people. It's like Vader doesn't care, but he still kind of feels like he still reports to the Emperor so he can't go too crazy. If Kylo, you know, he's the supreme leader now, is he just going to be choking out everybody because he doesn't care? That's a good point because he's literally like Darth Vader and the Emperor all in one now. Yeah, so it's like he's completely wild and loose and off the rails like there's no one to rein him in so if there are any older first order admirals and generals around if they're not doing exactly what kylo wants i can't imagine them being around for very long kylo would be especially pissed off if the ghost of luke is just constantly bugging him just pulling pranks buckets of confetti fall on his head as he walks through like a door putting banana peels on the floor pulling the uh tape stuff off his face his scar his scar tape See you around, kid. Then disappears. Woo! Oh, no, I'm still convinced that Richard E. Grant is reprising his role of Clifford from Spice World. The Spice Girls would be great as First Order officers, especially if they broke out in a song. Maybe that's how the movie ends and the end credits go up. Yeah, this is the uh, Return of the Jedi of the sequel trilogy, so we, we, need, a, uh, we need a musical number, right? The, it's the perfect end celebration that balance has been restored to the force. Maybe the redemption of Ben Solo and outcome the Space Spice Girls, but it's the real Spice Girls. The Space Girls. <laughs> with, with their manager Clifford, played by Richard E. Grant once again, and it all comes together. I want more. And maybe they can jump a bus over a river. (laughs) Yeah, I, I think that would have to happen. It's a space bus. It would have like thrusters on the back. The bus like lands, and George Lucas comes out, 
and dances with the with the space girls. That's the only way to end it. That's the only way to to top Yub Nub or the serious special edition version is yeah the Spice Girls and George Lucas in a bus jumping a river while singing a song. JJ can play the keyboards. It's all coming together. The ghost of K2SO comes out and break dances. <laughs> Yeah, we need some real episode nine news. (laughs) (laughs) We're going crazy. Please, JJ. JJ, you don't understand. So in other older Star Wars news, it was announced somewhere. Somebody talked to Kathy Kennedy and that how it went and... They confirmed that the never-announced Boba Fett movie has been canceled. (laughs) It's been confirmed it will never be announced. (laughs) Movie not happening confirmed will never happen. It seems like they they keep saying, too, how it was like, it was still the movie Josh Trank was going to make, what, three years ago? And and now, three years later, it's finally not getting announced still? It was like the night Last Jedi came out, there was... The rumor that maybe it was back with James Mangold directing it. But, you know, there was like a little glimmer of hope that maybe the Boba Fett movie was coming back. I wouldn't say hope, but there was a possibility that it was coming back. But It is a little sad if if the rumors were true that it was supposed to be about all the bounty hunters. But there's a Mandalorian show coming out. There can be all the bounty hunters can show up in that. I like the idea of them kind of taking what they were going to do with that and turning it into this more of a new thing. I don't know, though. I mean, I would have been. I would have went and saw the Boba Fett movie. But then I was thinking too: do it as an animated movie, or do it as like a Disney streaming app four-part animated miniseries. Here's what a Boba Fett movie could have maybe been like. And then you could have Tamuel Morrison doing the voice if you'd want to take the helmet off and you wanted to look like old Tamuel Morrison. You could. Yeah, we've talked about that before. I think we're definitely on board with them doing more animated stuff that's self-contained, like animated versions of some of the books or comics or whatever, as opposed to having it to just be a a new series, especially since like with Clone Wars, like almost one way we'll see that with season seven. It's like, they're all like three and four episode arcs that are basically little mini movies anyway. So do that with, uh, if they have to with Han, if they're not willing to do another live action solo movie, just Use all the actresses, voice actors, and do it animated. I think an animated Han and Chewie with Alden and Chewie would be great. Yeah, and you could bring back Donald Glover as Lando, and you could do them going to Tatooine to get that big shot gangster where they talk to Jabba the Hutt and get crazy with it. It could be really awesome. They could honestly bring Lord Miller back and let them do an animated version and get get crazy. So one thing in the future of Star Wars that no one knows anything about is whatever the heck the Game of Thrones guys are doing. The newest issue of Entertainment Weekly, the the article is about the the, the finale, the final season of Game of Thrones. But it's talking about that Benioff and Weiss' next gig is writing a new Star Wars film. And they received some final season secrecy tips from the last Jedi director Ryan Johnson and producing Kathy Kathleen Kennedy. 
They gave us lots of hints about how to lock things down, things we never would have thought of or didn't know were possible, Weiss says. Do you think it was stuff like, when you're writing, close the curtains? Don't write scripts at Starbucks and stuff like that? or More dinosaur nuns? But I guess they, they have had more problems than most because the last couple seasons got leaked early and people seem to always know what's going on with Game of Thrones. When it was first announced that they were doing something Star Wars, wasn't it that they were doing a series of films? And I don't know, maybe it's the wording of the article, but the, this one says that they're doing a Star Wars film. It could just be too that. They want them to do a trilogy, but they're going to make one movie first. And if everybody hates it, they're not going to make the other two kind of thing, as opposed to just saying it's going to be a trilogy right from the from the beginning. I don't know. I mean, that could have been one of the, the post-solo kind of things of not that they're not going to do stuff, but just not to talk about stuff that's that far out anymore. <laughs> they don't have to cancel unannounced stuff now. <laughs> but like you were saying, like the... How long is it between eight and nine? I think that's the thing that keeps waking me up in the middle of the night is the post-episode nine slate. Whatever Ryan Johnson is doing, whatever these two guys are doing, and even beyond that, what is that? What are these projects? Where are they? When are they set? What's going on? There's concept art being worked on for those right now somewhere. And what is that all about? Well, it's true because it's almost like we're getting the Mandalorian and maybe the Mandalorian is our what we know of to this point as Star Wars continuing stories like that's taking place between the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy. And it's going to probably have characters and has stormtroopers and things that are traditionally what you would associate with Star Wars. And is that do we have that because Ryan Johnson's is going to be so kind of out there and new and far removed from what we're used to and our the game of thrones guys they're gonna be in the same vein where it's a different time period a different part of the galaxy and it's not going to be totally tied in as well so in order for them to let them kind of get crazy with that that's where we're getting kind of the more traditional stuff as on the tv shows you gotta think the mandalorian probably won't just be one season i mean that could be on season three, four, five, by the time these weird out there movies are just getting going. So it's like you got traditional Star Wars on TV, you know, like you said, like Stormtroopers and the Empire and all that stuff. And then you got people riding around on giant bats or whatever the heck, <laughs> you know. Well, because it is almost like when Phantom Menace came out as far as like there was nothing immediately recognizable as Star Wars to people other than lightsabers. Like, is that are we going to get six movies of that instead of just one before they start bringing in more of the familiar, which we'll talk about a little bit with Attack of the Clones of bringing the familiar back in, which those movies won't necessarily be able to do, which is going to be kind of exciting. Fill up the bathtub with ice. Go to uh, your, your local grocery store. Tell them you're going to buy a bag of ice, but just crawl in the freezer, take a nap. <laughs> Make a visit with your doctor next week. Talk about long-range plans of staying alive. What do I need to eat? What are the vitamins I am not taking? Get an oxygen tank. Sleep with it up your nose. Star Wars Episode 2 is the must-see film of the summer. Now, relive the excitement. Hold on! Relive the adventure. Relive the fun. Over again.
All right, so the art of Attack of the Clones. It's written by Mark Cotavaz. The Art of Phantom Menace was written by Jonathan Bressman. And this one, like I said, is Mark Cotavaz, who he wrote the fantastic from Star Wars to Indiana Jones, the best of the Lucasfilm Archives book, which when that book came out in like the mid-90s, it was mind-blowing. This is the first time we got to see just like pictures of the props from the Lucasfilm Archives. He wrote the fantastic Industrial Light and Magic into the digital realm. And he's still out there writing books. He did a making of Gareth Edwards' Godzilla, and he did a making of Interstellar. He's a past member of the board of directors for the Cartoon Art Museum in San Francisco. And he practices Tibetan Buddhism. He's like the Yoda of making of art books. So Phantom Menace gets a lot of attention for... Is very groundbreaking effects at the time, and very much rightly so. I don't think Attack of the Clones gets the credit it deserves for being very much an experimental film in that it was the first film that was filmed digitally, edited digitally. The sound and effects were done digitally. Well, and then it was ultimately projected digitally in theaters as well, too. With different footage, which we've talked about in the past in true Star Wars fashion. I drove an hour to go see it, to see the future of digital cinema and the one scene. (laughs) Well, Attack of the Clones really did develop, at the time, what was groundbreaking technology that is commonplace today. But Attack of the Clones was the first. Yeah, in uh, his introduction, George Lucas kind of goes into how they basically made two films. They made... The animatic, rough animated version of the film and then the final film. And as opposed to in the past of just doing 2D storyboards and maybe even 2D animated animatics that they actually did 3D computer generated animatics for almost the whole film. So that you could basically figure out exactly what each shot was and even work on lighting and color and all those sorts of things ahead of time so that they can send the shots out to up to a hundred people to work on a specific scene. And that way everybody was knew what they were working on, which yeah, is pretty much how any sort of big budget special effects film is made today. And it was, and yeah, and it was the first time it was done. When I did star Wars, it's the whole project was an exercise in reining myself in and designing a film to be able to get the maximum amount of strange environment and exciting spaceship action out of very, very little I don't really have to rein myself in anymore. It was a shorter time period, too, from Phantom Menace to Attack the Clones. For Phantom Menace, the art department worked four to five years just getting Phantom Menace off the ground. And Attack the Clones, it was like two to three years. Well, there's I can't remember which documentary it is. There's the great part where George Lucas is telling... I think John Noel, not to worry too much about Attack of the Clones because it's it's a love story. It's not going to be as big as Phantom Menace. <laughs> There's not going to be that much action in it. Whether there'll be anything quite on this level in terms of a real six in the next film, but you know, it'll be more like uh, Empire, where it's you know, mostly just personal rather than grandiose. That's what you said last time. Well, I said, well, I said this is a love story, and it's not a... Yeah, so there's going to be lots of original effects this time because it's, it's a love story. I lied, didn't I? Don't worry, it's just, just a bunch of kissing. Just a bunch of hugging and kissing. That's what's all on the next one. Nothing else going on. I mean, I remember th- that time period be- from 
Phantom Menace to Attack of the Clones and hearing that, like in Insider, them talking to Rick McCallum, it's like, you know, not quite as much action, much more focused on the love story. And I was just like, "Eh, okay, I'm ready for anything. (laughs) Sweating a little bit. What's that going to be like? (laughs) And then the movie comes out and it's like, sorry, we lied. There's 45 minutes of nonstop action at the end of the movie. The most relentless onslaught of action in any Star Wars movie before and after is going to be in the the simple one about the love story. They had the advantage, though, with Attack of the Clones of they didn't have to build up a staff. They had a core team of 15 people, and they started working solely on Attack of the Clones by about September of 1999. And they had a couple of folks from Phantom Menace, uh, Eric Timons, Ryan Church, had them beginning to work doing concept paintings, mostly in Photoshop and Painter software, which was not used quite as much on Phantom Menace stuff, right? Pretty much everything in the art of Phantom Menace book was more or less markers and pencil on paper and not a lot of color work, which is similar in here. But yeah, towards the end, there was a lot more digital painting, especially when they started to incorporate plates shot for the film and in actual scenes that they would just paint over, which at that point, it makes sense if you have a an image from a digital camera it makes more sense to just go into Photoshop and paint or in the computer and paint over it than to try to print it out and paint over it and then photograph it again or anything like that. So I would guess that it kind of transitioned over the over the course of designing the film, maybe getting you more into the digital stuff as they went along. I think about especially in the art of Attack of the Clones book, the the whole section on the the droid factory chase. There's stuff in there where it's Padme and Anakin straight from the film incorporated into a digital painting everything about the droid factory is kind of insane and outrageous in the best of the prequels ridiculousness because i think they even talk about it in the book right like was it ryan church did a painting uh, of the droid factory and lucas liked it so much he was like we can't just have that be a couple matte paintings we need to add a whole sequence to the movie and because this was in they were in post at the time yeah lucas felt this shot design was so powerful it would be a shame to confine it to only one or two ILM map paintings. Thus, the concept inspired reshoots of the actors for a later elaborate visual effects sequence of Anakin and Padme being chased through the dangerous droid factory. They'd already been done filming. This wasn't even in the script. And they're like, I like that painting. Let's add a whole scene. I can do it. He put sunglasses on. Do it. I would say over half the sets are, are digitally created. That was great. It's, it's in essence a digital movie, so that ILM is really working on every single shot. And General George doesn't limit his thinking to what he knows can be done with the technology. He always tries to set the bar a little higher, and it's up to us to try and figure out, well, can that actually be executed? You know, film is a very collaborative medium. The ILM group is just part of the team, and uh, they're able to tell me what they can and can't do. But it's neat because I feel like with Attack of the Clones, this was kind of like looking back for the books too, like the beginning of when you would look at concept art and you would look at the finished film and they almost look indistinguishable from each other. Like if you squint your eyes, the concept art in the film looked the same. And up to this point, that didn't really happen. Like when you go back to, you know, more classic films, like they would have these beautiful paintings and then you would see the movie and the movie would look cool in its own way but it it wasn't like a one-to-one to to what the uh, concept artist painted and with all the digital technology coming to the forefront like there wasn't anything you could concept that you couldn't make the film match well i think of that with uh 
a lot of the original trilogy art books and so much of Macquarie's work, where what you get on screen is the special effects or the real life version of what Macquarie painted. And there's the Macquarie Star Wars universe, and then there's the film Star Wars universe. And you can see the influence on each other and they're like talking to each other, but they're two different things kind of. I think with Attack of the Clones was the first one where we were in that new era and that's still going on today. What the the cinematic dynamics of a particular design are is very, very important. Is you know How does it move through the frame? Uh, how does it show up on the frame? Uh, you know, dark ships on a dark sky don't work too well. It was a new thing with Attack of the Clones, too, where it was the first Star Wars movie where it was a much darker environment than the very bright Phantom Menace. I mean, it was... We were going to the lower levels of Coruscant. We were, a lot of the movie has a very foggy, hazy look, even on Naboo. And Geonosis has a very dusty red look. And it's very much the approaching storm that's coming of badness in the galaxy. But all the Star Wars movies have had these kind of color themes and changes as we go from planet to planet. The Death Star being very gray and black and white compared to the greens and browns of Endor and like earth tones and all that stuff. But I feel like that whole concept of color was really out in the forefront in Attack of the Clones. Perhaps that was more of a product of all the levels of concept art to filming all becoming more blurred in the process. Yeah. So a lot of that was uh, also just with Movies starting to use digital color grading. So I think Oh Brother, Where Art Thou in 2000 was, I think, the first big movie that actually did a lot of digital color grading. And then the Lord of the Rings movie started to do that. Attack of the Clones would have been the first Star Wars movie kind of after that became common practice where you could really push the colors in post and get it to look exactly, even the live action stuff, to look exactly like a painting or, or what the concept art looked like, which really helps... If you want to push that idea of different planets or different parts of the film having very drastic color differences, the the technology kind of finally caught up. Another thing that was different with the art stage of Attack of the Clones versus Phantom Menace is on Attack of the Clones, a lot of original trilogy concepts started coming into play, more so even than on Phantom Menace. Django Fett... Basically, an update of the Boba Fett suit, the Slave One, of course. And we started seeing a lot more of the kind of original trilogy basic shape designs coming in, like the Jedi Starfighters being very much a triangle, like Star Destroyers. And it was all starting to hint of what was to come in the galaxy. Right. Well, we even got Star Destroyers themselves by the end of the film with the clones. So, yeah, it was definitely the, the transition between the. The new stuff of Phantom Menace gradually moving into original trilogy stuff by the end of the film, setting us up for Revenge of the Sith, finishing the transition. Well, and even the design of the clone troopers in general. I remember when we first saw what a clone trooper was going to look like. It was like the most amazing thing we had ever seen because it's like, oh, my God, it's a stormtrooper mixed with like a Mandalorian helmet. It's That's incredible. It's still my favorite of all the stormtroopers now. It changed my life. I love the fin on the top, the little red light on the fin, the crazy X Boba Fett, but kind of like an X looking visor goggle thing. I don't know. Can't get enough. 
we're so familiar with um, that triangular shape as being the symbol or the icon for the empire that to take that and actually uh, give it a new personality, a new identity, which is the, the spaceship and the shape for the Jedi Starfleet was actually a really brilliant move and actually made the whole symbolism very powerful because you can slowly see how everything slowly starts turning towards the dark side. They were getting crazy too, where at one point Ian McKegg suggested doing a digital costume for Padme. They're talking about in the introduction of the book where they could introduce cloth and fabric that was unlike any kind of cloth or fabric that could be made by hand. And it was deemed too expensive to do. But it's like, what were they thinking of doing? What would that have looked like? Yeah, I don't know. But what's interesting is like, that's how Marvel does this, all the hero costumes now. Even when they have clothes on, on set, they generally replace it with digital clothes in the movie just so there's consistency between when the actors are in the suit and when they're all CG people. But we've gotten to that point now where they probably could, and maybe they will in episode nine, someone will have <laughs> digital clothes. Well, that just made me think of whatever they're planning to do with General Leia in episode nine, whatever they're doing with old footage of Carrie Fisher, could they change her clothes and give her a digital costume in episode nine? It's possible. I mean, Tar I think Tarkin's clothes were, I mean, even though they had real Tarkin person on set, I think in some of the shots, they, re they just replace all of them because they can do it now. And it's some places it's kind of like with Jar Jar. Sometimes it's easier to just replace the whole thing than to try to mix the head on the body. But I guess with Carrie Fisher, they might have to do that. Or they just will replace her completely and not tell us and we won't know. <laughs> I bet there will be several parts in episode nine where it's like a completely digital Carrie Fisher and we'll complete, we won't be able to tell the difference at all. You know, and that relates to that one big difference with uh, Attack of the Clones of Phantom Menace is that costume designer Trisha Bigger was part of that 15-person core team. So she was working simultaneously with the art department making a much more cohesive communication system going on. And it, 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 I think that shows, especially in the most elaborate costumes of the film, once again, Padme. The other costumes in the first film really were about her being a queen. In episode one, she did a very formal figure and had to always be aware of her position. Last time they were so incredibly gorgeous, but it really cumbersome to wear. This one is much more about making her as beautiful as we possibly can. That's beautiful. She's this, like, tough, smart woman that everyone's trying to kill because she's such a powerful leader. And she also wears the coolest clothes. <laughs> so let's go through some of the highlights of the art of Attack of the Clones. It kind of starts in Coruscant. What was some of the stuff that stood out to you in there? Well, right from the beginning, the... Uh the painting of Padme's ship going into the fog into Coruscant. Like that's another one of those ones where it's like, I'm looking at a still from the movie, but it's a painting of the still from the movie. Like the atmosphere and everything is all there. It's interesting that a lot of these illustrations of Coruscant were all done in black, white, and gray. Maybe that was specifically with the Coruscant stuff, trying to get just shapes and silhouettes and, not worrying about color. 
And it all has a very Blade Runner-esque influence. But it's interesting with all these designs for Attack of the Clones. I mean, a lot of this aesthetic got carried over into the Clone Wars show and still being used today. Yeah, you think of so many times in Clone Wars, they were in those lower levels of Coruscant. It, it was always these designs that were, to re- that were originated for Attack of the Clones at first. Like, I think of all the stuff with the Zillow Beast. So I think there's a lot of good stuff in the book, but really it hits its stride, I think, in uh, page 50 with the appearance of everyone's favorite, Dexter Jetster. The Art of Attack of the Clones book isn't divided as clearly as some of the other art of books. It kind of just flows in the order of the movie, and it doesn't have as many little fascinating behind-the-scenes side stories. I mean, there's little paragraphs here and there and little quotes from artists here and there, but it it kind of lets the art do most of the talking. In the last 20 or 30 pages of the, of the Art of Attack of the Clones is the actual script for the movie. But we do get a full-page glamour shot of the Dexter Jexter maquette. I don't think the Phantom Menace book had any maquettes or very little, right? It was mostly sketches and paintings. Um, up to this point, one thing I've noticed going back that I didn't, didn't really think about before was there's a lot more set design maybe in the Attack of the Clones book. I mean, there's a lot of drawings of interiors and cityscapes and not as much maybe vehicles and characters. Yeah, the inclusion of the photos of the maquettes is great because there's the one of Zam Wessel. There's actually the, the two of Zam Wessel with and without her mask. But the Dexter one jumped out to me because, well, it's Dexter. But also, I forget that he was designed to not be wearing a shirt. <laughs> and in the movie, they gave him his greasy shirt. But, like, at one point, he was just completely naked except for uh, he had an apron on. He was, like, breaking health violations in Coruscant, you know? Yeah, he's not wearing shoes, so no shirt, no shoes. Yeah, no problem at uh, Dex's <laughs> Diner, I guess. <laughs> That's where they get the Jawa juice from. Well, I like there's a at least a couple concepts of Dex or Jester where he's actually wearing a chef's hat, too. Like, that would have really... There's still time, but... Oh, another thing, which I don't rem- think about enough, is that we did get Star Wars boats in Attack of the Clones. And there's uh, some some concepts of it on uh, 54, at least one concept of the boat. I know one part that really stood out to me in the Art of Attack of the Clones book is the Camino stuff. There's about 75 pages in here of just like Camino heads, it feels like, where they were just nailing down that Camino head look. Some of them look super close encounters with a third kind alien. Some of them, they got like weird fins that look like mohawks and stuff. We get another great maquette of uh just a generic Kaminoan naked if you want to know what they look like naked art of the attack of the clones is the book for you because they have really cool feet and i don't know that we ever see their feet in the in the movie no because they're always wearing like ace freely boots oh yeah or dresses yeah (laughs) yeah they're all wearing spaceman boots (laughs) maybe they were all that was the thing they were all really big ace fans that's why shock t is hanging out there all the time in the Clone Wars cartoon. I've just figured it out because they love her because she kind of sounds like Shock Me. Every time Shock T walks into Camino, it plays. There's a whole nother wing. Well, there's they have all the, the different buildings, right? One of the buildings is just clones of Ace Freely. <laughs> <laughs> They're growing their own Kiss supergroup. It's four Ace Freelys. <laughs> <laughs> Satisfaction. Whoa. Whoa. Uh, 
Oh, Master Jedi, let me show you our other project we're working on. Ace Freelies. <laughs> you must be very proud. Your aces are very impressive. <laughs> They'll do their job well. There's an ace out flying around on one of the whales. <laughs> Just laughing. <laughs> <laughs> it worked better in rehearsal. Shock me. God. Tell me about it. <laughs> And there's there's great stuff with the figuring out the Django suit, and there's a really awesome painting, a Doug Chang painting that I love of Boba and Django with the Slave One, Obi Wan Kenobi with his lightsaber out, and Obi Wan is like all in black. Oh, I just I love that. He's got the old school Macquarie pointy lightsaber. Mm. Yeah, that's I think. A tease with this book is we don't get as many uh, of those beautiful Doug Chang kind of mood pieces. I mean, there's this one. There's a cool one of of out the exterior of Camino. I think that's got the slave one flying around too. I always wonder about that. I, Doug Chang didn't do too much or of anything really for Sith, and I I wonder if by Attack of the Clones of Chang was kind of moving out, which I don't blame him. I mean, the guy spent five years working on Phantom Menace, and then. Probably at least another two, three years on clones, and I don't blame him for wanting a break. I wonder if at some point during Attack of the Clones of Doug Chang, it was kind of just like, I've got to get out. Page 85, I really like the sketches of the uh, Tusken Raider kids. I was happy to see that in Attack of the Clones. I never expected Tusken Raider kids ever in my life. And when they showed up with Lady Tusken Raiders. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. But that's what I would love on the Disney streaming, Tusken Raiders the movie. Like a reality show, Tusken Raiders Spring Break, with just like a half hour of just raw Tusken Raider footage. Well, the stuff, the Tusken Raider stories in a uh, certain point of view were, were cool. Mm-hmm, I really liked that. So, yeah, give us a Tusken Raider cartoon or live action sitcom. <laughs> Just all in Tuscan Raider language. It's called the Tuscans. Tune in Thursday at nine for the Tuscans. And now a very special episode of the Tuscans. <laughs> Streaks on the China never mattered before. Who cares? A young Tuscan gets his first job at an ice cream shop. If you're gonna work here, you gotta take the mask off. <laughs> Sorry, them's the rules. Just call us up, Kathleen Kennedy. We got some shows for you. We got lists and lists of shows. <laughs> Things really in the book really start getting out of hand crazy as they start to explore all the different concepts for who was going to be the new Sith in Attack of the Clones. And I think it was Ian McKegg was dead set on the Sith in Attack of the Clones being a woman. It would have been cool, I guess, but I'm kind of glad they didn't because then it would just be like Darth Maul again. But these illustrations are great. But when ultimately we got Ventress in the comics and she became one of the cooler characters on Clone Wars. So it kind of all worked out in the end. And you know me, I'm a, a Dooku man myself. So... 
I would have been sad to not have evil Obi-Wan Kenobi old man. A lot of these uh, female Sith ideas they had, we, we saw turn up in Clone Wars, the, the, like the Medusa hair, snake hair, Jedi sisters. And they were really playing around with the idea of like a chrome-plated cyborg female Sith person too, which interesting too. I wonder how much of that later influenced what they did with General Grievous. Then, yeah, a little bit later, we get a lot more concept art for New Jedi. Shakti introduced Luminara, Barris Ophie, and Kit Fisto. It's kind of crazy there's just that one picture of Fisto in here. So that was one of the things I noticed going back and looking at this, that for how much stuff is in the book, how much stuff is not in the book, and that we maybe haven't seen yet, like... There's really no sketches of Dooku in here for him being kind of a main character. There's a little tiny maquette of him on his speeder on one of the pages. But there isn't a legit, like, full body, this is actually a sketch of Dooku's costume. I brought it up with the Phantom Menace book episode that there's no Nemodian concepts in here. There's been two art books, and there's no <laughs> Nemodian concepts in either of them, even though they're... Main characters in Phantom Menace, I mean, they don't show up till the very end in here, but there's definitely, they had new costumes, new designs. Well, and it's interesting, too, they talk about Ian McKegg did an illustration of a Coruscant policeman, but he was also in the running for a Sith villain. And McKegg's final Sith drawings purposely moved far away from the, the ocean of a young female to images of an older woman who appeared frail but was vicious and nimble, which that would have been really interesting. So McKegg's final drawing for a Sith as an old man, Lucas accepted it, telling McKegg that the final reincarnation of the Sith would either be based on this drawing or a completely different character played by Christopher Lee. And this was something that, I guess, surprised the, the whole art department. And then Lucas, oh, no, it's actually going to be Christopher Lee, you know, Dracula and whatnot, you know. Yeah, maybe they never. Maybe Christopher Lee just showed up in the Dooku outfit, and then they, Lucas was like, "Yeah, it looks good to me. Just wear that." That was like just what he wore that day. This is how this is how I look, George. He showed up with a cape on. So can I hang this up? And they're like, "No, you got to wear it." Oh, okay, George. And then the book kind of ends with a tour de force of Geonosis art, which you've got some Ryan Church stuff in here, which is just absolutely insane. Much like the movie, the last third of the book is just Geonosis madness. And I wonder if some of these paintings came about because there were so many animatics of the action shots for the end. I wonder if they ended up just taking still frames of the animatics that had been made by the previous team and then just did paint overs of those. Yeah, I wonder. It's like we were talking about in the beginning of the episode where it was a much more cohesive process than Attack of the Clones, which with each stage informing each other. Like you were saying early on in the episode too, it, a lot of these Ryan Church paintings just look exactly like what we see on screen. There's a cool one on 163, because I think those kind of saucer things are what eventually uh, showed up as the, um, the droid helicopter kind of things that were a little bit in Revenge of the Sith, but they think they were in uh, Clone Wars quite a bit. I wonder if that's... When those were, because those I think were supposed to be an Attack of the Clones at one point. There's a black and white Doug Chang illustration of a Republic gunship 
being chased once again by giant flying creatures looks like being rowed by Geonosians. That kind of goes along with what we're saying, too, is that compared to the Phantom Menace book, there's not, maybe there wasn't time or maybe it just didn't fit with the production process for Attack of the Clones, but there's not that blue sky period. There's not a throw it at the wall and see what sticks kind of thing. It was kind of more Coruscant and Kamino or Geonosis, or at least what we're seeing in the book. And we also don't see anything of the Yoda lightsaber fight in this book. Yeah, you're right. The closest thing, I mean, there's the Doug Chang painting of Obi-Wan and Anakin versus Dooku, where unfortunately one of them is in the crease of the book. (laughs) So you could barely see them. Um, but yeah, no Yoda. Yeah, we're, we need special editions of all the art books. <laughs> I think I was a little sad looking back through here where it felt like the book ended so quickly. But it is neat to get the posters in here and to have the script as bonus. Because we st- since we still don't have a Last Jedi script in any form anywhere, it's kind of funny how in, in the old days they stuck the script in everything. It's fascinating looking back at the art of Attack of the Clones. It's... It's where the transition to digital began for Star Wars. It broke new ground that still doesn't get the credit for breaking. And is Art of Attack of the Clones books it's still available out there? It is out of print, I believe, but it's pretty easy to get a used copy. New copies are like too much. <laughs> They're like sixty to hundred dollars, I think, if you get a brand new copy. But but yeah, that is interesting. I wonder if they will if Disney will re release all these at some point because you know, like the movies, these art books never really go out of style. This is artwork and information that should be more available for Star Wars fans who weren't buying $40 hardcover books in 2002. It, it should be out there for folks. And both Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, the concept stage and the way they changed movie making in general is very important. And these books should be available. Like we've said, every time we do an art book, I mean, if you're a fan of the movies, there's nothing better than seeing where the movies came from. And if you like art, you know, what's better than art of creatures and spaceships and Wat Tambor? <laughs> and shirtless Dexter Jetster. That is art. I mean, that should be like in the Louvre, in my opinion. It's capital A, capital R, capital T. That's, that's a lot of art of the tech of the clones. <sighs> it's just like the movie. It's overwhelming and outrageous and ridiculous and awesome. And just in paper form. But you can touch the book. You can touch the movie, but then your TV gets all gross. Because <laughs> your hands are all sweaty. Because you've been watching Attack of the Clones. I love you. Trying to hug your TV. We are watching a show with my wife. She's like, why is there a handprint on the TV? You were watching Attack of the Clones again. <laughs> Guilty as charged. Maybe. <laughs> Star Wars begun. The Clone War has. The Geonosis Battle Arena, where you can control all the action. Jedi heroes fight off countless enemies with powerful force action as the arena erupts in chaos. Look! Even the odds with the Republic gunship. The epic battle for the galaxy is in your hands. Star Wars vehicle and playset each sold separately. Figures not included, some assembly required. Hello, 
Uh, this is Jerome St. John Blake. Um, I played Masamida, Rune Harko, Oberansesis, and a few other guys in the Star Wars prequel trilogy. And I'm standing here with Gabe from Blast Points Podcast and uh, looking forward to my debut appearance on his show. Watch this space. And may the force be with you. And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. So we say it every single week iTunes reviews, you know the drill. When you're done listening to this episode, if you're listening on some sort of Apple something or other, go over to iTunes, write a little something about Blast Points on our page, and we will read it on an upcoming show. We're behind. We got like a few that we got to get to. If you've written one, don't worry. We're going to get to yours really soon. And check us out on BlastPointsPodcast.com. For recipes, resistance reviews. What's Kaz up to this week? <laughs> what did Kaz trip over today? <laughs> you can find out on BlastPointsPodcast.com. And check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And make sure you sign up and join the Blast Point Super Chill Group, where it's Blast Points 24 7, 365. I say it every week, people posting the best stuff, because they're still posting the best stuff. Non-stop gold over there on the, the Facebook group. And if you want to send us an email, too, you can do that. Contact at BlastPointsPodcast.com. We, like we said, we got some great emails in in the past few weeks that we're going to be reading in an upcoming episode, too. We just got too many things to talk about. Art of the Attack of the Clones. We talked about that for three weeks. We should have did Art of Attack of the Clones month. <laughs> We'll be back next week with something. It's going to be a good one next week. So you're going to want to tune in for that. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss when the episode comes out. But that about wraps up episode 147 here, The Art of Attack of the Clones. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Thank you. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you. If you must be very proud. I'm telling you about it. <laughs> <laughs> Are you? May the force be with all.